Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. There is a book that has a huge meaning in my life because, my goodness, I've been I've been married 29 years now, and it was around the seven, eight-year mark that my wife Donna and I were just kind of struggling. I mean, not going sideways or heading toward divorce, but, man, we were just not clicking. I got to tell you, it was frustrating. And our pastor sat us down and worked with us, and he said, you know, you guys need to start reading some books together. And one of the books that he gave us is The Five Love Languages. And I know many of you are familiar with it. It's absolutely been transformative in our life. And I couldn't tell you, I am so excited today because we have Dr. Paul White, who's one of the authors of the five love languages. And also what we're going to talk about today, because it's so important, is the five languages of appreciation in the workplace. So Dr. Paul White, welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much, John. And hey, I want to clarify one thing. Dr. Chapman and I wrote The Five Languages of Appreciation, but he was the sole author of The Five Love Languages. So I don't want to take credit where it's not due, but I can also say that that book um, saved my marriage as well. So uh, anyway, I'm pleased to be here and uh, glad to talk about how The Five Languages can help workplace relationships. Yes, and I got to tell you, and I'll I'll share, uh, Paul, is – the clients that I work with, I do executive coaching, work with teams and companies from small startups to Fortune 100 companies. And one of the biggest challenges that, that teams have right now is retaining and developing some of their best people, right? Creating better communication, building up trust for the place that I don't have conflict, creating, you know, engagement. If we look at all the engagement surveys, a lot of people don't even know what that is, but I think if I ask somebody, do you feel engaged at work? And they're like, no, not so much, right? So they can't really define what it is, but everybody can has a sense of whether they're engaged or not. And all these are huge problems, especially uh, with the different generations that we have, the pace of business, the pace of change that's happening right now. So I would say now more than even ever, affirming our employees, learning to appreciate them, and almost bringing the humanity back Mm. to uh, how we lead, not just how we lead, but just how we interact with everybody around us in our sphere of influence, regardless of their position or role, is critically important. And I would just love your thoughts off the top of your head on that. Yeah, you're absolutely on point, John. In fact, one of the core messages that Uh, we give and I give when I go do speaking and training is that, you know, your employees, your team members are people. They're not just work units. They're not just production units. And unfortunately, uh, the focus on results and productivity and profitability can lead leaders to start to view their team members uh, and employees just as sort of statistics. And uh, that really creates not only sort of some distance and lack of engagement, but uh, resentment. And so one of the things we know is that one of the main reasons people leave on a place of employment on their own is uh, when they don't feel valued or appreciated. 79% of the people who leave on their own say that one of the key reasons they leave is because they didn't feel valued or appreciated. Most managers and employers think people leave for more money. In fact, one survey showed that was Uh, the belief of about 88% of managers, but only 12% of the employees said it was for more money. So we need to get it straight that it really is about uh, relationship and how to interact in a positive, supportive way with uh, the people we work with. 
And when they say they don't feel valued or appreciated, is that typically their direct supervisor, their boss? Is it just kind of the culture in general? I'd love what came out of that question. Yeah, it's actually changed over time. You know, anywhere from 10 to 20 years ago, uh, there used to be a saying, uh, you know, people don't leave a job. They leave a manager or a supervisor. That's less and less the case, especially with younger employees that Ah. we know that peer relationships, collegial relationships are more and more important. And so. When Dr. Chapman and I first wrote The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace, came out in 2011, and we really focused on managers and supervisors and how to communicate appreciation to their team members. But quickly, we got feedback from the people we were training that, hey, that's true and that's important, but I also want to know that I'm valued and appreciated by my colleagues, and I want to know how to show appreciation and encourage them. And that's more and more the case for younger employees. And in fact, that was we did some research with, we've had over 165,000 people take our online assessment, the Motivating by Appreciation Inventory, and we did research separating millennials from older generations, and that was even more of an issue that they really value time uh, with their colleagues and less with their supervisor. Okay, so... If I'm in an organization right now and understanding that dynamic that you just talked about, what are some things that I can do to actually kind of meet that need that's there and probably growing as we have more and more millennials coming into our workforce? Right. Well, you know, the five languages, just so that people know, because not everybody does, are words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, tangible gifts, and even physical touch. And that's one we can talk about because that always raises eyebrows. But um, quality time on our inventory, we identify a person's primary language of appreciation as well as their secondary and their lowest one, which is sort of their blind spot. But if a manager sees that one of their team members has quality time as their primary way that they want to be shown appreciation, most managers say, oh, man, I don't have time for that. I can't spend time with everybody. One of the messages is just because they want time with somebody doesn't mean they want time with you. <laughs> you may be great as a leader. You may be you know, <laughs> super. But a lot of younger workers, I've had people say, hey, I got a good manager, but I don't really want time with them. They're pretty intense. I'm somewhat shy, but I love hanging out with my colleagues, you know, going out to lunch or going out afterwards. And so it's important not to assume that it's about you. And along with that is to create opportunities for team members to spend time together. I'm not a big proponent of team meetings. We have very few on my team. But one of the purposes of a team meeting is to build relationships. Um, and so that what we often do for part of our time is to you know go around and share what's going on either at work or good things or challenges personally so people can get to know one another because it's just critical to be able to relate. And one of the things we found is when team members feel valued and appreciated, both by their supervisors and colleagues, a lot of good things happen. I mean, absenteeism goes down, tardiness goes down, productivity actually goes up. We just re-released a new version of the five languages of appreciation and updated research. And the amount of research that documents the business evidence for the importance of appreciation is almost overwhelming. Research by Gallup, by Tal's Perrin, by... Uh, the Boston Consulting Group by uh, McKinsey Group. And one of the key things is that, you know, people work together uh, better when they feel valued and appreciated from one another. And so productivity goes up and even profitability has been shown to be significantly more, over 20 percent more between groups that do value one another and others that don't. 
Yeah, and I firmly believe that it's so important for people to feel appreciated and affirmed. And I was actually uh, working with a team, an intact team that had been together about 15 years, and they were kind of they were an engineering group, so mm-hmm. they're very scientific, very technical, very transactionally oriented kind of group. And I made these guys, uh, or I had them in an exercise, affirm, you know, look somebody in the eye, say something honestly, say, you know, hey, thank you, or I really appreciate when you did this or this. And we had, you know, older group, probably mid to late 50s on average age and mostly men. And when I looked up after this exercise, there was three or four people literally with tears in their eyes. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, one of the sort of the foundational issues is that we've learned and believe that most people want to feel valued and appreciated. I mean, yes, we have to motivate ourselves and we can't just look to other people all the time. But at some point you want to know that somebody, you know, values what you do. But the problem is most people actually don't feel valued and appreciated. And, you know, in the workplace, there's been a lot of emphasis on employee recognition programs. And that's fine in one sense if they're designed and implemented well. But in recognition, especially either for time of service or for performance, isn't the same as uh, sort of authentic appreciation about the person. And that's where we really sort of fill in the gap there and help give people both understanding and the tools to be able to communicate authentic appreciation to other people. Because one of the key things is not everybody feels appreciated in the same way. I mean, of... Um, of 165,000 people have taken our inventory, you know, we've got some good data and less than half of employees value words as their primary language. Yet that's largely what we do along with some kind of reward. And that's even lower. Only about 6% of people value tangible gifts. And so you're right at about 50%. And that means you're missing 50% just from the get go. If those are the only two ways that you try to communicate appreciation. Yeah, so um, we're going to dig into it because I'd like to talk about what are some of the kind of the key points of each of these languages as they show up in the workplace and how do we discover those? Because you talked about like maybe the employee who might not want quality time with me because of our personalities, but that is their appreciation language. So before we start that, though, in your experience working with organizations, what do you think the reasons are or the what you hear on why people aren't showing appreciation to their people more often. What are those barriers you think that exist? Yeah, the number one reason is busyness. I mean, that's what people say. And I've actually had groups say, well, that's the number two reason too. I mean, it's just like, we don't have time to do this. In fact, I wrote another book, it's called The Vibrant Workplace, where I identified the top 10 obstacles uh, to appreciation and addressed each of those. But Busyness, and it's an important issue because people are busy. And so one of the things as a psychologist, you know, I'm supposed to be a specialist in how people change behavior, either individually or as groups. And so we've paid attention to that. And so working around appreciation, uh, we're not trying to create another to-do list for people. Nobody, especially leaders, don't need another to-do list. Most of us have at least two, you know, our regular one and sort of project ones. But what we've been able to do is identify how to communicate appreciation in ways that either are just not quite what you're doing and tweak it a little bit or something that you're almost doing. And so that we've actually found that when people 
use the languages and the actions that are important to people, it saves you time and energy because you're not having to thank you email to everybody. You're not having to stop by everybody's office and check in and see how they're doing or helping somebody out. You only do those actions that are important to each person. And so we found that busyness, while it is a barrier, once people sort of understand our model and apply it, it actually frees up time and energy. And also work gets done more because people aren't sort of creating conflicts over stupid little things because they're sort of chippy because they don't feel valued. I agree. And then, you know, the other thing I hear, especially from people my generation, the Gen Xers and baby boomers, mm-hmm. is they really don't understand the need for it. You know, hey, you should, your reward should just be doing good work. You shouldn't have mm-hmm. to be constantly, they kind of see it right. Why do I need to go around giving people attaboys? Right. That mindset, can you address that a little bit, Paul? Sure. You know, I'm a boomer myself, and I've worked with groups and leaders who said, yeah, you know, I don't need to show them appreciation. I pay them. That's their appreciation. (laughs) Right, Uh, right. So have a nice day. The problem with that is we can sort of talk about shoulds and whys, but the reality is people do want to feel valued and appreciated. Whether they should or not, it sort of becomes a moot point because the negatives are huge. And the biggest negative is higher staff turnover. People that don't show appreciation, their groups, their teams, their workplaces have far higher employee turnover, which, you know, we know is the single largest non-productive cost to a business or an organization because of lost production time and relationships and all that. The other thing that I think can get to people, well, let me tell you a story. I had a guy I was working with actually in inner city school and he was assistant principal. He said, you know, Paul, it's good that we're doing this with my team, but I don't really need to be told, you know, that I appreciate And he was right. His language wasn't words, but his language was time. And he happened to be a coach. And if you went and hung out with him at practice, he just lit up and he'd tell you about the kids and what's going on in their lives and how they're improving all that. And so lots of times people think that appreciation is verbal and it can be, but it's not only that. And so it's about getting the right language. The other way to sort of get to uh, sort of the real issue is that lots of times people say, you know, I don't need to be appreciated, but I then ask him, you know, do you ever get discouraged? Do you ever get worn out? You know, Mm. and most of us do. And I think encouragement and appreciation are essentially the same actions, but the focus of the time frame is different. Appreciation is typically focused on the past. I appreciate what you've done. Encouragement is about the present and the future. And so you're coming alongside and somebody that's, you know, really sort of battling through a project that they're hitting a lot of obstacles, but they're doing a good job. It's just that things have gotten thrown in their path. You say, hey, man, you are doing a great job. And you can use the same actions uh, for encouragement as for appreciation. And lots of times people, the light sort of goes there and say, okay, yeah, because especially for people that words aren't important to them, just saying something doesn't mean anything, but whether it's time or helping them out a little bit or getting them, you know, their favorite coffee to get them going in the morning or lunch to keep them going uh, over time, those can be really meaningful to them. Yeah, so let's go through these. So words of affirmation, you know, at work, right? You're giving people sincere praise for their accomplishment, telling them, hey, thank you for this. Or you're maybe you're affirming something, a character trait, Absolutely. their work ethic, their attention to detail, how maybe how they're always kind of going around the office caring for other people. They're that, you know, that bright spot. And you know what I've also come to realize, uh, you know, I was in the military, right? We were always taught, you know, praise in public and discipline in private. And uh. I've come to realize, though, there's some people that it's almost demotivating 
to be affirmed in public. And, and Absolutely. So, sometimes uh, just going up to somebody one-on-one in their office or pulling them aside and doing that can be really meaningful. The other thing, too, is some of us aren't very – I found that people are not very comfortable with, you know, doing it verbally. Yeah. And I've had some of the my clients that I've worked with. What we've landed on is, you know what they'll do is they'll write a note on a, like a little sticky note and put it on somebody's monitor, and it's mm-hmm. there when they come in. And I got to tell you, that can be just as powerful, can it? Absolutely, yeah. If we think about words of affirmation, they're words that are affirming, right? We're affirming the value of this person, either what they've done or who they are. Character, for somebody whose words is important to them, if you talk about their character, man, you have grabbed their heart and they will go to battle with you anywhere. Mm -hmm. Because if you say, hey, there's a difference between saying, hey, Joe, thanks for being here, you know, day in, day out and getting stuff done. Versus saying, Joe, man, I just really appreciate you are dependable, that I can depend on you being here and available. And that will grab his heart. Now, you're exactly right that for some people, especially introverts, sort of coming up and doing this one on one can be, you know, anxiety producing. And so we encourage you know, you can do it in written form and it can be like you said, a post-it note. It can be a handwritten note. It can be an email, a text. And so uh, a key to effective communication through words is that you need to be specific. We do polls with our group and one of the sayings people don't like to hear is good job. Why? Because it's vague. It's generally could be said to anybody. And I've had some technical people say my boss would know whether I'm doing a good job or not because he doesn't have the knowledge about this. So the more specific you can be, um, and we teach people a three-step model. You say your name. So Stephanie, second, Part is, you know, a real specific thing that the value is. Stephanie, thanks for getting your reports done in and on time to me. Third piece is why it's important either to me, to the organization, our clients. Stephanie, thanks for getting your reports done in and on time because that makes it easy for me to turn around to my supervisor. And I really appreciate that. So the more specific you can be, the more likely they're going to view it as genuine rather than if you're just being sort of vague with platitudes. Yeah, and then it doesn't come across. I think the more specific too, and then it's uh, you know it moves it away from the area of flattery, because mm-hmm. flattery is kind of can be manipulative or it's really about you versus making it really about them. If we really want right. to affirm somebody, right? And one of the things about employee recognition programs where they bring people down and you know have them in front of a large group, clearly about forty percent of the general population or the workforce don't want to go in front of the large group to be recognized. And not only don't they, I mean it's a negative. I had one leader, she told me, she said, I got like employee of the year. She said I spent fifteen minutes prior to getting the award in the bathroom throwing up because it was just such an anxiety producing uh, experience for her. So we've got to understand if it's about affirming and showing appreciation, we got to know what's important to the recipient. And to be honest, that's a major hurdle I have with strong leaders is that they think everybody else either does think like them or should think like them. And, you know, I had one CEO tell me, he said, you know, I would take people out for lunch and ask them about work and how's going. I'd love to learn that way. And after a while, people didn't want to go to lunch with them. He said, I finally got it that not everybody wants either to go to lunch, but they also don't want to just talk about work. You know, they're a person. They'd like to talk about their life or find out about mine. So we've got to understand. And when I talk with developing leaders, I say to be a good leader, you have to learn how to lead people who are different than you. You may be great. You may be talented. But if you just lead those who are like you're going to have a bunch of little mini you's following you around and that's not going to get it done. You have to have different skill sets, different personalities, different kinds of motivation to make an effective team. 
We're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. Are you like me, where you start a book and then bright shiny object syndrome distracts you and you start a new one? Soon after, you got four or five books on your nightstand or unfinished on your Kindle? Well, last year, John and I both subscribed to a book summary service called Blinkist. Blinkist divides the biggest thoughts and ideas of every book into short little blinks. That's what they call them. And you can finish most of those summaries in less than 15 minutes. The app is beautifully designed and you can listen to the audio versions while reading along or while on the go. When John and I would hang out after his accident, he coached me up. And one of the things that he told me to do was read at least 10 pages of a book in bed before going to sleep. But I've translated that into a Blinkist summary. So on a few of them, like How to Win Friends and Influence People, I've read the Blinks, then reread them over a few days to really get those key points in my conscious and subconscious. Try them for a free seven-day trial, and if you use the affiliate link embedded in the summary of this MP3 or at eternalleadership.com slash blink, if you like the service and end up subscribing, you'll be helping to offset the costs associated with producing this show. Beauty of affiliate marketing. Again, the link is at eternalleadership.com slash blink and embedded in the summary of this MP3. Thanks. Quality time. What is quality time? How does that language of appreciation show up at work? Yeah, and quality time is an interesting one that actually drove us to change our inventory. Initially, we just identified people's languages. But I had a manager say, this person's language is quality time. What does that mean? What am I supposed to do? And so we found out that we needed to specify the actions within the language. And so now uh, when people take the inventory, they get a, a list of actions they choose from. And not only that, they choose who they want the action from. So quality time could be individual time with your supervisor and manager to be able to share ideas or to pick their brain and get answers from, or it could be getting together on the weekend and watching, you know, a sporting event. Um, and so we find that there is actually a gender difference in the majority culture in the U.S. that most women desire focused attention during quality time, meaning you're there with them. There's no distractions going on. You're listening and responding to them directly. Guys tend to build relationships more shoulder to shoulder. We do things together. We go to sporting events. We golf. We hunt. We whatever it might be. But we talk while we're doing it. And so we have to understand that even in the workplace, there's a difference there that if you're a, a woman leader and you call in a guy and want to have a meeting with him and sit him right in front of his <laughs> lots of times his alarm says it's going to go off. What did I do wrong? Whereas um, that's very appropriate for to bring, uh, you know, a woman and you want to make sure that you don't have any other distractions going on with a guy. Time might be, hey, let's take a walk and go down to the break room and I want to talk with someone or let's, you know, walk around the building or whatever it might be. But there's a difference there. And you got to get the right action as well as the right language. So to summarize, it's really kind of about that quality conversation, eye contact, no distractions. Right. You're really listening to their feelings, their thoughts, and you can do it, uh, like you said, right, either in your office, go for a walk. I think that's actually a really powerful way if that's somebody's appreciation language, right, or do it somewhere outside of work. So there's a lot of ways that you can do this that doesn't take a lot of extra time and it's really meaningful for that other person. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Now any, any final thoughts on quality time? 
Well, just that it's not always about sort of intense talking about your feelings. For some people, mm. it's just being included in the group that if the team is going out for lunch and you invite them or, you know, you and another leader are going and you invite one of your junior team members, just being invited and getting to go to lunch with you communicates value to them. Mm. So it's not always about talking. Sometimes it's just doing stuff together and, and or, you know, you're going to a football game and you invite somebody to go with you that can communicate it as well. So uh, I just don't want the guys out there to feel like it's got to be, you know, sort of this intense personal talking time. It may be, but it also might be just hanging out together. Okay, great, great point. And how about acts of service? How does that show up? Yeah, acts of service, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I don't want to have to rescue people from doing stuff that, you know, they should be doing. Acts of service, uh, like I had one CEO tell me, he said, my language is get her done. He said, don't tell me stuff. Don't give me stuff. Help me get things done. And I'll know you're on my team. It makes me feel like you're with me. It's often the best context is when somebody's working on a time pressured project that they're pushing to get it done. And it's what can somebody do, whether it's their colleague or supervisor, somebody else that can help make that go better. And it can be anything from, you know, holding their calls and sort of running interference so that they can stay focused on the project. It could be, you know, run and get them lunch and bring it in so they can keep going. It could be managing smaller tasks that they don't have to do so they can keep going. Or for some people, it's just they like to work together on projects. And again, uh, younger employees, this is more and more the case. You know, past years, it was more getting things done was somewhat more about prioritize, delegate and, you know, everybody go do their thing. You know, with the younger employees, it's more about let's figure it out together, possibly, and or let's work at it together. And so um, it can be as simple as, you know, let's say you're checking in, uh, you know, an order of materials that came in. It can be more effective and efficient for two people to work together on that than a single person. So an example is I had a graphic designer who was working on a project and she told the story of she was working on it. And it was the end of the day and the rest of her team, you know, were going out and they said, hey, man, way to go. Keep plugging on. I hope you get done. And if you get done, we're going to be down at the sports park. Come join us. And she was just fuming because it's like, you know, don't talk to me about this stuff. You know, help me out a little bit. And I said, words is about 45 percent of the population. Time is about 25, 26 percent. And acts of service is about 20 to 22 percent. So, you know, it's not huge, but, you know, 20 percent, one out of every five people uh, really want some help occasionally, at least. And that can make a big difference. Yeah, and sometimes it's just getting your own stuff done in a way that really helps them so they're not constantly having to check on your stuff. Like your executive, you said, right, he wants to just get her done, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So if you're an impediment or he's constantly having to check on my work, he's not going to yeah. feel like I'm really appreciating what he's bringing to the team. Yeah, exactly. And how about gifts in the workforce? You know, gifts is an interesting issue because I'm learning more about it. The way that gifts have been used have been really, I would just call it stupid. <laughs> to be honest, you know, we give everybody the same thing and, you know, say, you know, happy new year or happy holidays, whatever. And actually for people that gifts are important, that's a way to offend them is to give everybody the same thing because it means that, you know, you didn't really think about them. And in the world of appreciation, it really is the thought that counts. It's not how much you spend. This is not bonuses. It's not compensation. It's showing that you're getting to know the person personally as an individual and what they like. And so, you know, I grew up in 
uh, Lawrence, Kansas, where the University of Kansas is. So, you know, if you give me some stuff about Big 12 basketball, you know, I'm interested. If you give me a K-State you know, magazine, I'm going to either throw it away or give it to a friend. You know, you've got to know what people like. And it can be as simple as what their favorite kind of coffee is. Or if you order pizza in for the group, make sure you I figure out what that person likes. Or the same thing with donuts or whatever, because food is the most common gift given in the workplace. Gift cards is number two. Gift cards can be okay if it's specific, but again, if it's just general, you know, give them a, you know, I don't know, an Amazon one, you know, or spin it wherever you want. That doesn't really show that you're figuring out what they like and what's important to them. So it's interesting that it's just about 6% of the population, but the way to make gifts work is you pair it with one of their their major languages. If you pair it with a compliment or with spending a little time with them or helping them out and say, hey man, I really appreciate you're helping me with this. And here's a little something. Interestingly, for younger employees, the gift is not a tangible thing. It is flex time or comp time. That's not quality time. In our model, quality time is you know spending time with somebody, but I have some younger uh, team members and they work hard and get a project done. One of the things that really is encouraging them to be able to you know, take off uh, early on Friday afternoon or take a half day off to compensate for that. And that's really meaningful to them because that's an important value to them. Yeah. So put some thought into it, make it meaningful to them, something that person values. And you know what that, well, at the end of the day, you know what that speaks to is just really getting to know the people that we're interacting with, not just our employees, but our peers and people on other teams and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And here's some bad ways to use gifts. Um, we've done polls again and found out what people don't like. They don't like the same gift to everybody. They don't like little Chotsky stuff, you know, little sort of things you put on your desk that, you know, they're just going to have to throw them away. Uh, a lot of times employees resent all the gifts being corporate wear because they feel like they're just a walking billboard. Right. And so it's you've got to get into their head and find out about them and, and what they like. And it, again, it can be pretty small, you know, for younger employee who's got a family and on a tight budget, you know, a little gift card to go to a little nicer restaurant than usual can make a difference. And interestingly, I've heard lots of stories that a cool gift is a gift that they get to use with their spouse. And you win a lot of points that way because you're, you know, helping build that relationship at home as well as affirming what they've done to help you out. Okay, great conversation on, on gifts. Now, physical touch, and especially I think with the, you know, hashtag Me Too movement and right. all the kind of attention on this area. And I know that physical touch is my primary both love language and appreciation language. And mm-hmm. so um, how do we uh, bring physical touch into the workplace for those that maybe it's their primary language on how they like to give, but how do we do that appropriately? Yeah, it's an important issue we have to address. We need to pay attention to it because if we don't, you know, we can inadvertently get ourselves into trouble. One of the interesting things is when we first started out and had our inventory in a paper and pencil version, we did some research and found that physical touch was the least valued language uh, identified by people. It was the least frequent of anybody's primary language and was most often their least valued. So that along with actually experience of some women in a workplace reacting to the physical touch items because they had been victims of sexual harassment. We chose to take it out of the inventory. We talk about it in the book and in our training because 
really two reasons. One is it's there, and, and I'll talk about that in a second. But also Dr. Chapman, who studied anthropology, did not want to advocate a touchless society even in the workplace because appropriate physical touch can be very meaningful and appropriate in the right situations and in the right relationship. There are some people who say, don't touch me anywhere, anytime. You know, I don't want anybody to touch me. There are other people who say, you know, handshake's fine or whatever. The thing about physical touch in the workplace is it's largely spontaneous celebration. I mean, it's, you know, a high five when you finish a project. It's a fist bump when you solve a problem. It's a congratulatory handshake uh, when you make a sale. Uh, and it can be actually cross-culturally a pat on the back can be is viewed as the most acceptable form of physical touch in the workplace. But it has to be, as I had one group of women leaders said, two pats and no circular motion. I mean, it's not, doesn't have any sexual overtone. And we need to be aware of that. One of the interesting things is that I was dealing with a large hospital group in the Midwest and coming in to do training for their leaders and the HR uh, manager said, now, nah, I'm not sure how the CEO is going to go with this because he's an ex-military guy and sort of hardcore, and I don't know if he's going to buy this or not. A few minutes later, he walks up to me, and the first thing he says to me is, I don't agree with you that you took physical touch out of the inventory. I mean, <laughs> I'm like, well, that's not what I expected. And I said, really, tell me about it. And he said, well, I grew up playing sports. And, you know, we score a touchdown, you hug each other, you slap each other back. And he said, I miss that, you know, and that's an important way to me. Now, physical touch actually is less than 1% of the population in the workplace, but it can be meaningful. And it's weird if somebody, you know, raises their hand for a high five and you say, oh, no, no touch in the workplace. I mean, you've got to have some discernment here about what's appropriate, and especially responding to somebody else is obviously okay. So, we have to be careful, but it's a meaningful part of life as well. Yes, I agree. So just make it appropriate. You know, if you sense that people are uncomfortable with it, you know, you need to have that awareness. And also, if there is somebody who is maybe more touchy, they might not realize that they're doing something that maybe causes you anxiety. Right. And sometimes just sharing with them like, you know, hey, Paul, I, you know, I would just really appreciate if you kind of respect my space a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And I think I shared with you a little bit uh, before the, a friend of mine, she's a chief master sergeant in the Air Force. She's the head of this area, the equal employment opportunity and sexual harassment area in the Air Force. And she said about 85% of the cases that get referred to her office could have been taken care of by just a simple conversation by the two people. Mm -hmm. um, if it ha it happened in the field. Now, there's clearly some situations that definitely need to be, you know, where action needs to be taken. But, you know, a big part of this is just, you know what? If somebody's doing something that's not comfortable to you, just share it with them. And guess what? It's probably a blind spot for them. And they probably truly appreciate the fact that you might have given them some feedback. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, one of the things that we do to help organizations, I mean, we culture, if you want to change your culture, you need to have a variety of things. And one is structured activities. So including this in some of your meetings, spontaneous things, you know, just when it comes up, but also visual symbols. And so we've created a bunch of visual symbols that uh, groups use, and it can be our, we have little symbols for each language and be part of your email, or we have buttons and lanyards and all that kind of stuff. But one group we worked with, they used buttons, but they added a NHA designation they could put on their buttons that meant no hugs allowed. And so we tend to like to have fun with this. It's not sort of this heavy kind of thing, but to learn about one another and respect each other's perspectives and boundaries. Yeah. Now with these five languages, 
How would we determine what other people's languages are? Because you said at one point, right, we tend to speak everything kind of in the flavor of our own language. That's kind of our default. So how do we determine what others are? Well, it's been a difficult challenge, and this may sound a little self-serving, but to be honest, we have not found a good way aside from having people take the inventory. A code for the inventory comes with the book, and so we've included that. You can also buy group codes for your team. But in love languages, with personal relationships, you sort of watch and see what they do and so forth. Even then, we know that about 75% of the time, people, the way they show appreciation is not necessarily the way that they want to receive it, especially for gift givers. There are a lot of people that like to give gifts that don't necessarily receive them. But the other thing is you don't have enough data points to observe, you know, how people show appreciation to really get a good sense of that. And so, and it's not a conversation we have. It's like, you know, how, how should I show you appreciation? You know, and it's just sort of a weird conversation. And mainly you're going to get, I don't know, tell me thanks, I guess, you know, because people don't have a very broad sense of it. And so we found that it's 10 or 15 minutes online, take the inventory. It creates a individual report for each person, their languages, their actions, what they like. And we're actually going to be updating it here this spring and identify the specific ways they don't want to be shown appreciation so you don't inadvertently make a mistake. But it's a tough one. Uh, Again, I think the only side door that I really discovered is when, if you say, you know, when you get discouraged, what's something somebody has done or can do to encourage you? And that will get you going there. But again, the the actions they report may be fairly limited and not give you a a wide range. Okay, that's great. So haven't taken the inventory, but observe people and maybe just have a dialogue. Hey, what are some of those things that really encourages you when you're having a tough day? What just makes you feel better? Once again, it's about getting to know our people, isn't it? Yeah. And that's one of the fun things I think about the inventory is it gets to a personal level, a deeper level than you typically going to get in most workplace relationships, finding out about what really is of value to them. And one of the cool things we do in our training is have people share not only their actions, but why that's important to them. It's interesting to hear the stories behind, whether it's a written note or stopping by and checking and see how they're doing uh, makes them feel valued. It's uh, It can be quite a relationship-building experience. Now, I'm guessing with the languages of appreciation, it's similar to the love languages in that, like, for my love languages, number one is physical touch, number two is words of affirmation. My wife, her number one is quality time. That is my number five. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have had to be incredibly intentional at creating quality time moments for her. So is it the same thing in the workplace? Do we have a blind spot with maybe that uh, language of appreciation that's at our lowest? Yeah, and that's actually why we identify what we call people's least valued language is that it gives you a clue that, hey, this is not wrong or bad. It's just the one that doesn't mean that much. You don't think about it naturally. And yet you almost certainly have team members around you that that is their primary language. And if you don't pay attention to that, you're going to inadvertently miss them or do things that really don't mean much. And so creating some kind of awareness or even a, a plan of, you know, a calendar reminder, say, hey, this week, be sure and, you know, stop by and check in and see how Janet's doing or whatever. And so it is important to be able to address that. Now, one of the other things I want to mention real quick is that, you know, employee recognition programs, especially performance-based ones, can be quite effective, but when they're designed well, um, but they only reach about the top 10 to 15% of employees. There's a big middle group that we miss 
that are good people. They work hard. They do what they're supposed to. They're not necessarily your stars, but, you know, they're sort of like your linemen and linebackers in football. They may not be the quarterback or the wide receiver running back, you know, gets all the attention, but you got to have them. And remember, we talked about people leave when they don't feel valued. It's really important to focus on the whole group and not just the stars. And that's also why it's important to train team members how to show appreciation. This is not the sole responsibility of managers and supervisors. And one of the things we've done is created some online train the trainer courses because I grew up in the not-for-profit and social service world where people give a lot, but they don't have money for training. And so we created relatively low-cost training resources that you can have a team member, your HR person or whomever you would like, take the training and run groups through this so that teams can learn how to show appreciation to one another. And it's not all on the manager's shoulders. Awesome. So, you know, as we kind of wrap up here, Paul, what are some of the just, you know, people out there who want to have a better workplace, right, to create just more cohesiveness across their teams, their generations, across their organization? What are just some key takeaways or action steps you'd like to leave with uh, everybody listening? You know, uh, when I gone out and done training on a positive note, I've had a lot of people come up and tell me the negatives about their workplace and how nasty it is and what a jerk their boss was. Wound up doing research and wrote on toxic workplaces. And these two sort of dovetail together because besides busyness, negativity is a big obstacle. And people think culture is outside of them. Culture is actually sort of the accumulation of hundreds and thousands of interactions between individuals. So you can start, especially if you're a leader, but even if you're not a leader, start to change your workplace culture by first of all, not joining in the negative. You know, people, you know, they're complain or grumble or gossip or whatever. Just back off, say, hey, I'll catch you guys later. You don't have to call them out on it. Just don't engage in the negative. And secondly, Find something positive to turn attention to. And it could be about somebody else, but it could also be, hey, man, what a great, beautiful day. Or did you see the sunrise this morning? Or I'm so thankful we work in a heated building and we're not out there in the frigid cold. It can be anything. But if each person takes responsibility to back off the negative, focus on the positive, and especially with your team members, then you're going to start to see sort of a positive snowball effect of things turn around and things are going to really turn more positive and healthy as well. Yeah, I think that's so important. You know, an organization that has negativity and gossip, that is that is a cancer. And, and changing that dynamic right there is one of the fastest ways to have a positive impact on a culture and an organization quickly. Yeah, I agree. And I would say just secondly, briefly, the other part is don't focus solely on production. You work with people. They have lives both at work and outside of work. And if you ignore that, you're not going to get the full sense of who they are and what they can contribute to your team. You've got to pay attention that they're a person. And if you just focus on tasks and productivity, you're not going to really have a healthy workplace and a healthy team. Yeah. And actually by focusing on what everything we've talked about, you're going to actually accelerate that productivity, that innovation, that engagement. So it might sound a little bit counterintuitive, but I really believe that bringing back healthy relationships to an organization is absolute is that's what empowers people and Absolutely. can create an extraordinary organization. So the name of the book, and this is something I recommend everybody reads. We teach this as part of all the leadership 
training we do in all of our organizations. So uh, you and Dr. Chapman, I truly appreciate the work that you've done. It's absolutely been transformative. The book is The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace, Empowering Organizations by Encouraging People. And, and where do people out there find you? Where are you guys on the internet? We're at appreciationatwork.com. And it's a word at, but appreciationatwork.com. And I also have a website, drpaulwhite.com. But love to have them visit us and have questions. Be glad to come and teach about it or show them how to get training for their team members to take this and drive it deep into their organizations. Yeah. And anybody listening, if uh, you're in a position to do that, I would highly recommend that because I've seen the effects of that as every single case, it's been incredibly positive. So Dr. Paul White, thank you, sir. Uh, man, My I pleasure. so appreciate your life's work and what you're doing and, and your time today. And if there's anything at all I can ever do for you personally, please let me know. And uh, thank you for spending the time on the podcast. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. 